The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth, which comes from Holy Scripture, and begins with a prayer. Let us pray together. O glorious Father, prepare our hearts, O Lord, to receive your word with humility and openness. Quiet the distractions that strive to get our attention. And help us to focus solely on your voice. Remove any preconceived notions and prejudice that may be hindering our understanding. Open our minds and hearts to the depths of your truth. In Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Back in July. Just a month, what, a month and a half ago. A movie release that was called Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, uh, was received with, with good, re well, decent reviews, and a lot of people went out to go see it. The, the movie, in case you don't know, is about a top secret, a United States top secret project that took place during World War II. The name of the project was the Manhattan Project, the Manhattan Project. The Manhattan Project brought together a team of scientists or physicists that was led by a man named J. Robert Oppenheimer. And their task was to design and develop an atomic bomb, an atomic bomb. And this is part of history, so you don't even need to see the movie to know that. As you know, there were two atomic bombs that were ultimately developed, resulting in the world's first nuclear explosions. Over two Japanese cities, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. These two bombs tragically killed up to 226,000 people. Now, the backstory, the backstory of this project was to develop for the first time in human history an atomic bomb, an atomic device. This device is called an atomic bomb because it uses nuclear fission as its source of energy. Now, stay with me, okay? I'm in over my head already, but stay with me to get into the depths of what, this, what, what took place. It is called fission because it is the action of dividing or splitting 
something into two or more parts. It is called nuclear because it relates to the nucleus of an atom. Now, as many uh, of us know, an atom is basically, as far as we know so far, the, the basic unit of a chemical element. There are many elements that we know of. An atom consists of a nucleus, that is a proton and a neutron, and it's surrounded by an electromagnetic bond, or, or, or it's bound together electromagnetically with what we call electrons. And electrons are very interesting because they don't know where they come from, and they say they can live forever. Uh, they say that an electron can, can live up to a billion years, and I don't know how they would know that, uh, possibly judging from the distance of uh, other stars that make it here to Earth, and we see them billions of years later. In nuclear fission, scientists were able to split, to divide an atom, an atom's nucleus, the two or more parts, into smaller nuclei, and in turn release the energy that that produces in an atom. It produces energy. Amazing, amazing. This is amazing stuff. When we consider, it's amazing stuff, when we consider the size of an atom, we cannot see an atom with our naked eye. And only until recently we get a glimpse of an atom with an electronic microscope. Barely, uh, like a glimpse, a blurred image. The word atom comes from the Greek word atomos, atomos. And it means indivisible or uncuttable. The Greeks, they pondered on this, they thought about this, and they what they did to give you an example of how they came about this is they got like an apple. They would cut cut stuff up. They would cut like an apple up. And they would cut an apple into parts. And those parts were cut into more parts, and those smaller parts were cut into more smaller parts, and those smaller parts were cut into more smaller parts. And they continued and continued and continued until they could not cut the apple any smaller. So then they said and that this was this was the smallest unit that existed, and they called that smallest unit an atom. Now we know now that that an atom can be split or cut, divided. But see, that's what's so amazing. Throughout the centuries, since all this time started, scientists and physicists began to theorize that eventually they could use an atom and divide an atom and use the energy of an atom. Now, there are some good things that can happen from that, but the, uh, the Manhattan Project was designed to create something sinister, so to speak. 
to use that energy to destroy as a weapon. And that's what the Manhattan Project is all about. Now today, we know that scientists have developed a, a, a nu nuclear fusion. Now fusion is when they fuse something together. So, so fission is divide and fusion is to fuse it together. And when they do that, they realize they get even more power, energy, energy is released from an atom. Incredible. That's, what, that's how they're designing the bombs. That's how they designed the, our nuclear bombs of today. It's amazing on how we got that intellect. It's a glimpse of the mind of the creator, creator God. And, and it begs the question, who is God? Who is God? Now, some of us might think about, that might be thinking, well, why should I care? Why should I care who God is? What does it matter? Well, here's why. First of all, we must realize that there is a God, and you are not him. You're not God. That's despite of everything you hear in today's society, in today's world. It is not all about you. It is not who you, who you are or who you want to be. There is a creator. There is a God, and it matters. The reality is there is a true and living God. And this God is a God of morality. And we've talked about that before. This God makes distinctions between what is right and what is wrong. The Lord God Almighty provides moral guidance to us in telling us what to believe and how to act, how to behave. Listen to what Scripture says about what God tells us in, in Holy Scripture. And I'll just go over just a few of them. Uh, listen to what Pro Proverbs 3, 4, uh, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Passage obviously highlights the idea that trusting in God's wisdom and guidance leads us into the straight path, a path forward, the path that, that you can only enter through the door. We've talked about during the series on the Sermon on the Mount. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 tells us that woe to those who call evil good and call good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. That verse warns us against moral confusion, moral being, making moral decisions of right and wrong, moral confusion, and emphasizes the importance of recognizing the distinction, the distinction between good and evil. There is a distinction. Don't let the world tell you that there's not. And don't believe that what you think is right is right and that, that nothing else matters. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, 
Your word, that is God's word, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. That first underscores the role of God's word in providing moral guidance and clarity in life, in life's decisions. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the, of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. That passage emphasizes that God is the source of all that is good and all that is perfect, implying his role in defining what is right in life in our lives. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39 says, Jesus replies to a question he's asked, and he replies saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The second of the two greatest commandments is love your neighbor as yourself. Here in this passage, Jesus clearly teaches that the love of God and others summarizes the moral principles and that distinguish right and wrong. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O uh, mortal man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. These are God's expectations. So don't believe that we don't know what to do. God told us to obey him, but he doesn't tell us how or what. That, he doesn't give us any guidance. He does. These are just a few of so many Bible passages. There are God emphasizes his role in distinguishing and teaching what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. So then we, so then we go on. We, go, we do go on and ask the question, what? Who is God? Who is God? Now, that question, who is God, there's no more fundamental question than that. Who is God? Well, in the Bible, God reveals himself. He reveals himself. And he reveals so many things about himself. So don't buy into the propaganda that God doesn't reveal himself. He does. And those of you who are in Christ know he does. In the Old Testament, chapter 33, Moses asked God this question. Ask God. He says, Moses says to God, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. In effect, Moses is asking God, who are you, God? Who are you? God responds with these words. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, my name, the Lord. Then God goes on and says this. Right after that, he says this. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you, God is saying this, you cannot, he's telling Moses this as he's telling us, you cannot see my face for 
man or woman shall not see me and live and live. Not in our sinfulness, not attained by sin. But what does God do? And we know the story, right? God grabs Moses, he puts him in the cleft of a rock, and then he covers Moses up with his head, and this is all metaphorical, right? He covers Moses up with his hand. And he, and he tells Moses that, that he's going to pass. He's going to pass before him as he covers him up so he won't die. And then as he passes, he'll remove his hand. He's going to remove his hand, and he's going to allow Moses to see his back, the backside of him, but not his face. So Moses gets to see the effects of God's glory as it has already passed. And we have seen the effects of God's glory in our lives if we look. His glory is everywhere. And we don't want to make the mistake that we don't glorify a tree or a mountain. That's beautiful. That is the beauty of God's creation. And we are to admire it and, and, and be stewards of everything he creates. But we do not worship created things. We worship the creator, the creator. God is not that mountain. God created that mountain. God is not that tree. God created that tree. It's about his glory. All these many things that God speaks about is about his glory. And so when we talk about who is God, that is a, that's the place to start. We start with his glory. Now in the Bible, uh, the Hebrew word for glory is kabod, which means heavy or weighty, uh, uh, heavy or weighty honor or splendor. Theologians wrote something like, what a theologian wrote, the glory of the Lord indicates the brilliance that is connected with all God's virtues and his self-revelation in nature and in grace. The importance of God's glory is revealed in the following verses. And I'm throwing a lot of Bible at you, but it's for a reason. It's for you to pick up how, how glorious this is and how true to God's word it is to glorify him. But Psalm 19 and, and verse 1 and, be, and, and forward tells us that God made the created world for his glory. Isaiah 19, 1 and forward says that God will heal the broken world for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says that God made us for his glory. Here's what it says. It says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Ephesians 1, 12 says that God saves us to the praise of his glory. Exodus 14, 4 tells us when God judges, he does so for his own glory. When God judges the world, everyone will stand before the judgment seat of God, and he judges everyone perfectly, including Christians, and he does so for his glory. Now, we are not condemned because Christ dwells in us, and he sees the righteousness of Christ in us. 
He does it for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul goes on to say that whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. Are we getting the picture of why we should live and how we should live? Guess what? The glory of God. We were created for the glory of God. An interesting quote that a, a theologian and pastor, J.I. Packer, says, he says this, he wrote this. He says, God's goal and all he does is for his glory. But this is easily misunderstood. The glory is uh, the glory that is his goal is two-sided, two-staged, is a two-sided, two-staged relationship. It is a conjunction of the first part, him revealing a revelatory act on his part, whereby he shows us his glory. And then the second part of that is a response, a response, our response in adoration, our response in adoration which we give him glory for what we have seen, what we have received. And we see this as a relationship, in a relationship. My dear friends, the fact that God exists is evident. It's evident. It is so evident through nature, through creation, through the consciousness of man, humans, man and woman. The Bible calls atheists, those who do not, who do not believe in God, they, uh, Psalm 14.1 says that they're fools, fools. And we have a lot of those walking around. Accordingly, the Bible never attempts to prove that God exists. It doesn't even attempt to do that. It assumes the obvious, and it tells us about him. It tells us how he spoke the world into existence in Genesis 1.1. This is important because the correct thinking of who God is is of utmost importance because if we have a false idea of who God is, we commit idolatry. If we don't understand who God is or we're making up our own idea of who God is, we're committing idolatry. God is seeking after his glory. God is seeking after his glory. And that is, it is painfully obvious to totally scripture, but it can be misunderstood. People can ask the question, why does God seek after his own glory? Why did God create people to praise and glorify him? Now, if that was a human being doing that, what would we think of that human being? We'd think that person's arrogant and, and prideful and a nut. But God is calling us to glorify him so that he can come into a relationship with us. He's a benevolent God. He shares his glory with us. Isn't that, that's wonderful. See, the problem we have is we, we struggle with this relationship. And God is calling you to him through the blood of Christ so he can be benevolent and share his glory with you. Someone he dearly loves. He loves you. He loves us. He cares about us. 
He wants us to enter into a personal relationship with him. So now here's what we need to hear when we read a passage like we just read and when we talk about God's glory. We again, if I haven't harped on it enough, I'm going to say it again. We, you, were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You enjoy him because you are close to him. You have this relationship with him, and he is a benevolent God. He shares his love. He shares his glory with you. That's how we enjoy this. We become complete. We become we, we come to peace. There's peace in our heart, even though things are falling apart. My sister passed away just a few weeks ago. There's, you know, that we mourn her loss, dearly mourn her loss. We have questions as to why, why her? But there's peace. There's a comfort in knowing life is eternal because of God and his love for us. Our primary purpose for being created was to honor and glorify God and enjoy his, his love forever. So therein lies the problem. Because of the fall of humanity, there's enmity, there's hostility between God and humans, all humans, because of the fall. Now there's hostility between God and humanity. See, humans, after the fall, glorified themselves. They glorified themselves. Think about where it all started with Eve and Adam. Eve and Adam. We'll look at Eve first. Think about this. A, 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 Satan comes over. He takes over a serpent who obviously could stand up and talk, and he's talking to Eve, and he's telling her, God didn't really say this, or God didn't really say that. Now, think about that. Now, you, you're not tainted with sin like we are. She was not, and neither was Adam. He is hearing nonsense. She talked to God all the time, and so did Adam. Why could she just say, Lord, is that right? Is what is what he's saying right? That's not what he says. God, Father, is, is what he's saying true? What would that be? That would be a prayer. That would be communion with God. She didn't bother to do that. He just took it upon herself to glorify herself and believe the lie. Well, that sounds like a lot of us. Hey, what does Adam do? It says that Adam just, just believed and took it. He didn't even ask questions. He just believed Eve. Okay, that, okay I'll, I'll take a bite too. I'll take a, a bite of the, the, I'll believe the lie. Without questioning anything, he too could have prayed. He too could have stepped in and stopped it. But we, they were glorifying themselves. They wanted more glory for themselves. They chose to believe a lie. Romans 8, verse 7 tells us, For the mind that is set on the flesh, thus, Adam and Eve, a mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So we, in our fallen state of being, cannot glorify God. God is not listening to us. He is intentionally not hearing what we're saying. 
We can glorify. In our fallen state of being, we can glorify God 24 hours a day, and he's not going to hear anything. There's enmity. There, there, there's hostility there. So how do we do it? How does it happen? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. God had mercy on us. God opened our eyes and our hearts. And that was accomplished, forever accomplished through the blood of Christ. Through the blood of Christ, through the life and work of Jesus Christ, we can accomplish our creative goal, our created desire. We can accomplish what we were created to do, and that is to glorify God. But only through Christ. Only through Christ. Humanity's primary purpose in life is to glorify God and rejoice in the fullness of his love. The only way to fulfill our created purpose is through faith in our, in our Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, our salvation. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You know, we think about the Manhattan Project and the, the creation of the atomic bomb. And we realize that the crown jewel of God's creation, the crown, what is, who is the crown jewel of God's creation? Humanity. We realize that the crown jewel of God's creation was given an intellect to be able to think like that, to be able to come up with, hey, we can split an atom and, call, and, and grab energy from it or create a bomb from it. I mean, no, no other animal can do that, right? You, you don't have monkeys thinking like that. Uh, you don't have dolphins who are fighting another clan of dolphins thinking, hey, listen, I can split an atom. We can create a bomb. That doesn't happen. It is only because God gave us an intellect, God's crown jewel. We are created in the image of God. He gave us an intellect to be able to come up and ponder this and do things like this. But he also gave us free will to choose, to use what we learn for good. I mean, nuclear plants are, 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 are done like this, and that could be good. That's a good thing. But in the Manhattan Project, they used it for destruction, for destruction. We were created to glorify God. And if you're in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you're walking in fellowship with Christ, we are called to do what the passage, our passage says. We are created to do it. We are created to sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. That sounds like sharing the gospel to me. Declare his glory among the nations. His glorious work among the peoples. That is what you do if you're in Christ. You sing. You sing. You glorify him. You get up in the morning and you thank God that you're breathing. And you thank him for another day that you can set forth and glorify him. And you thank him for another day of the blessings that he has showered you with. Showered you with. And don't overlook those blessings. Many of us think that's financial, and they can be. But don't overlook all the other treasures that he has given us. And, and for some of us who are 
parents and grandparents, we totally get this. And those who, uh, our loved ones who say, I don't want anything to do with my grandkids because I did my job. I did what I was supposed to with my kids. So I'm done with it. They're missing out on blessings. But that's, just, that's not it. There's, there's more than that. They're all over the place. Being here today and worshiping God is a blessing. That's what we do if we're in Christ. Now, if we're not in Christ, if we're not in Christ, it's like NASA says, Houston, we have a problem. You have a problem, a big problem. You're not doing what you were created to do. You're just focused on yourself. You're not focused on where your focus needs to be. Now, this is not to deny yourself and don't even take care of yourself. Of course not, that's foolishness. But if your focus is on him, you will be taken care of. Of course you're gonna care for yourself and your family. If you're not in Christ right now, rejoice in knowing the good news. And the good news is that God will show his mercy on whom he shows his mercy. And if you're here at this moment and you're hearing the gospel message and you're hearing his word, you have felt, you are feeling the mercy of God. It's upon you. You're hearing it through the gospel message, and you're, there's an attraction going on where you want to get closer to him, where you want to receive his son as your savior. That's what you need to do. That's what we're looking for. That's what, if you're not in Christ, you were created to do that. And until you do that, you will not find peace in your life. So is your heart burning within you? Is a burning heart burning within you? A burning heart will soon find for itself a flaming tongue who will share the gospel message with you. Let us pray. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.